we did try the different approaches and we found that the direct-to-consumer didn't work at all, not even close. And so the DIGA law came just at the right time because this got us into general reimbursement. And then obviously the doctor is the gatekeeper because it's the doctor who prescribes the DIGA and brings it to the attention of the patient. We did trial of that, but that's many years ago and that didn't work at all back then. Welcome to the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. I thoroughly enjoy bringing you discussions with incredible industry leaders in every episode, and it would mean a lot to me if you could rate the podcast in your favorite player and hit that bell to be notified of future episodes. In the previous episode, I spoke with Vijay Ravindran, CEO of Florio. In their own words, Florio allows therapy to be more engaging and happen anywhere, assisting people in practicing critical social skills at their own pace through immersive experiences, starting with adolescent autism spectrum disorder. Today, I spoke with Philip Heyman, CEO of Vivira. In their own and simple words, the goal of Vivira is to help as many people as possible experience less pain. But before we dive in, I was introduced to Philip by one of our guests on the show, Mary Beckwith. While I heard about Vivira, I never dove deep into what they do and how they do it. After briefly speaking with Philip, I quickly decided there are certainly lots of experiences the team has gone through that are worth talking about. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Philip. Philip, welcome to the DTX podcast. Thanks for reaching out. We had a quick serendipity call. I love what you guys are doing. I know we've had quite a few companies from Germany and kind of focusing on the DIGA market. But um, what excited me about this conversation is the path you took as a company. So for all of our listeners, would love a little bit of the background on yourself. And don't forget about one small interesting fact as well. Thanks, Eugene. It's great to be here. Short background on myself. I am the co-founder and CEO of Vivira. We are one of Germany's leading DTX DIGA players with a prescription-based app against back pain. Founded the company a little bit more than eight years ago. Before that, I started and sold my first company. And um, my background is management and economics and a couple of years in strategy consulting for that. Before you get into the interesting fact part, so what was the company that you built and sold very quickly? Was it in healthcare or no? No, it was not in healthcare. It was in services outsourcing. Okay. Now, interesting fact. Yeah, interesting fact. So I um, absolutely love jazz music and uh, big band music. And um, this morning, um, on the way to work, we have an amazing amount of snow here. I listened to uh, the Nutcracker Suite by the Duke Ellington Big Band, which is uh, just one of my all-time favorites and uh, put me right into the sort of uh, holiday mood. And uh, yeah, so I thought that was one I wanted to share with you and your listeners this morning. Fantastic. I'll look that up on Spotify to boost me up this morning. You mentioned that you started a company eight years ago. Tell us a little bit more about the origin, sort of rewind us back to, I guess, 2014-15 timeframe. So 2014, 2015 timeframe in Germany, digital therapeutics was just starting out, right? Uh, we did not have a DIGA law yet. The players that were in the market back then were doing selective contracts with individual statutory health insurances or private health insurances. And um, we as a company 
were involved in that process as well, looking for a way into the market or looking for a way into the health system. And quite frankly, it was a very, very difficult phase. The way that I recall it, none of the companies in the market were scaling. None of them were achieving any meaningful revenues. And so there really was no market until the DIGA law in Germany was introduced and then finally passed at the end of 2019. I guess the question here is a little bit around the inspiration to starting this. Were you looking for a problem to solve? Did you start it from a technology out? What's the genesis of Vivira, right? What was the impetus? After selling my first company, I was exploring opportunities for what to do next. And I sat together with two owners of family-owned rehab clinic groups who ended up becoming my financial co-founders in this company, the company Viviera. So we sat down together and thought about like, what will the future of musculoskeletal rehabilitation be? And they said, a large share of the patients that we have in these inpatient rehab clinic facilities all over Germany, they really don't need to be here. The only reason they're here is because they didn't get enough movement therapy and their movement therapy, when they did get it, wasn't personalized enough. And so then their conditions over time didn't get treated properly. Many of them had chronified conditions eventually. Many of them then ended up needing to get surgery and now they're here, right? However, Germany being relatively speaking, one of the best healthcare systems for sure in the world, there's no way to solve the problem. Physiotherapy is extremely expensive because it's a human service. We have a healthcare professional shortage as most other healthcare systems do not nearly enough physiotherapists even to treat those patients who do get physiotherapy prescriptions. And then what does the physiotherapist do? Well, in movement therapy, they tell the patient what to do at home. So the only way to deal with this huge burden of disease, so we have a 75% one-year prevalence in back pain, and the great undersupply of therapy is digital. So we said there must be a digital solution. And so we decided to found it. Yeah, it's interesting because around the same time, there's a couple of other players that came into the scene. So, you know, there was an impetus. Now, you mentioned something interesting, your financial co-founders, and you're probably one of the very few companies that no matter where I try to search, and while I'm not a journalist, I got to do a little bit of digging, couldn't find any fundraisers, right? And I think part of what your comment was, I've been saying recently, you got to survive to thrive, especially in this market. Give our listeners maybe just a little bit on how you've been funding this. Um, obviously, it takes time to develop the product. There's an R&D portion, and then we get to the commercialization of this later. To this day, we are almost exclusively angel-funded, and I'm very glad that we were able to stay that way in the last couple of years. It's had a great number of benefits for us. I think that in the first years, as I said, between 2015, when we started the company, 2019, when the DIGA law was passed, it was very difficult to get any kind of proof of concept as a digital therapeutics player in Germany. So then the DIGA law was passed, and that's really when the life of Viviera as we know it today started. Yeah, And so it's been very, very helpful for us, obviously, to have angel investors funding the company, supporting the company, and providing ongoing support through all the really, really difficult early phases to enable us to continue to search for a way to a market, to create any kind of market. And now, obviously, a, quite a positive development since 2019. 
You know, it's fascinating, right? Because I think we as an industry, you know, broader digital health has been fascinated with venture funding, right? And a lot of the announcements kind of pre-down market. And you're probably an interesting example where, well, not every business needs to be pure venture funded, right? You can have some angels that, yes, they want the upside, but you're sort of in control of your own destiny. And whether the macroeconomic, but also the policy such as DIGA coming in gives you the boost towards the hopefully at some point cash flow positive and profitability. And again, you don't need to raise. Now, you know, maybe very quickly on this, and I don't want to dwell on it. What does that market look like today from an investment cycle perspective in Germany specifically into the DTX? In Germany, we have had DTX companies also successfully raising venture funds. And I, I do expect that it will increasingly become a very attractive venture market. I think the reason why many companies either have not been successful in raising VC money or have chosen to not do it yet is because, well, in most instances, neither VCs nor the DTX players themselves have really understood the market. Because it's so brand new, because there is no precedent, you know, there is no baseline, there are no best practices. We can't just copy paste from other digital industries. And so in the beginning, obviously, like what was done, well, they kind of saw what worked in other industries and they figured, hey, health is really huge. And if we can have growth rates like in other digital industries or use any kind of benchmarks from other places, then this could be a great investment opportunity. And then none of that stuff materialized. And so that we had something of a hype in Germany and then that ended quite fast. And ever since then, it's been very difficult for many players. However, now we've been in general reimbursement with our prescription DIGA, DTX Therapeutic now for three years. We see that we're very, very close to tipping points all over the place. So prescription tipping points where we're seeing the density of prescribers is increasing. The prescriptions per prescriber are increasing. The number of very, very satisfied patients is increasing. And with all of that inching forward, you know, eventually we get to these tipping points and then all of a sudden there are empirically experienced growth curves and there is measurable traction and we do understand the causality of where it's coming from and how to do more of the good stuff. And then all of a sudden a company that, you know, two days ago scared the VCs all of a sudden becomes very attractive to the VCs who for good reason, obviously need to consider risk versus return in their investments. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Philip Heyman, CEO of Vivira. Let's get back to Vivira more. Maybe just for our listeners to help them visualize a little bit, you know, first, you know, you've tackling the MSK market, right? Pain management. So A, maybe how big is the challenge in Germany? But then I want to also follow through with that individual, you know, following through the path of what does that user experience look like? So just a twofold question, and I'll, I'll remind you if we get off the tangent here. Yeah, good. So, I mean, obviously the market is huge. We have a 75% one-year prevalence. We know that back pain, which is the indication that we're treating with our first DTX, is the um, most important driver of work disability days, not just in Germany, but across Europe. And we know that work disability days are costing Europe about a percent of its annual GDP. So it's not just a huge pain suffering for the people affected at the individual level. It's also a gigantic economic cost. And so there's a huge urgency to act here. And the only way to address the problem, as I said before, because you know there's budgets and there's healthcare professional shortage and there's really nothing to give the patients, 
that would instruct them to do exercises at home. So the only way to solve it is digital. So that's the context of why we started in MSK with back pain. It's the biggest one. It's the most obvious one. It's the big impact. Let's jump into um, Eugene. I'm having some back pain challenges and issues. Walk me through that user experience and maybe even from the perspective of even getting my prescription. Just let's flow this out. So I have this back pain. I can't go to work. I go to the doctor and um, I say, um, doctor, how can you help me? And in the past, there was really not a heck of a lot doctors could do other than prescribe pain medication and or physiotherapy. Given the physiotherapy is budgeted, only one in 10 patients actually get a physiotherapy prescription. So let's assume that budget is out. The doctor can't prescribe it. The doctor would have in, in the past just have said, well, look, here's your pain medication and try to be more active. Today is different. Today, the doctor will say, look, I have a digital therapeutic here for you. It's a um, clinically proven digital movement therapy. And this will give you four personalized exercises every day for the next 90 days. And the more you do it, the better. I want you to do it three times a week or more. And you're going to give feedback after every exercise. And from that feedback, the medical progression algorithm will give you your personalized progression path, right? And I want you to do this. I'm going to prescribe it to you and your health insurance is going to pay for it. So then they have that very brief conversation in the treatment room. And these typically are acute, subacute, or early chronified back pain patients, quite early in the patient journey. And then the patient takes the prescription, leaves the doctor practice, goes home, downloads our app, uploads the prescription to us. We hand it in to the health insurance company. The health insurance company provides the activation code to the patient, and the patient then has full access to 90 days of working with our therapeutic. And to tide them over that period of X days until they get the activation code from the health insurance, because it does take a number of days for them to get that, unfortunately. We give them a, um, a one-week period where they can already start their training. Yeah, I was going to say, because you got to grab them while they're there, right? Uh, even if they're waiting for other paperwork, et cetera, because I, I think people's uh, mindsets. Super fascinating. And I'm always sort of curious around platforms, engagement, activation rates. You know, I think that's always been a challenge in almost any industry, right? In this case, I think people have an actual problem, right? Back pain and in lieu of physical therapy or in conjunction with physical therapy. So I'm curious, you don't have to disclose the detailed numbers, but I'm curious how you guys have been seeing those activation engagement rates and re-engagement rates into the next month, into the next program. Because I think you guys are a three months, if I'm not mistaken, program, right? Yeah, like many DGAs, we have a 90-day prescription usage period, so usage per prescription. And obviously, as you would expect with any kind of therapeutic, we have a broad range of usage patterns across the population of our users, and that's to be expected. What we do see is that the DGA is used in terms of both adherence and compliance in a way because it removes barriers, right? It removes barriers to do your movement therapy that gives the users both statistically very significant and also clinically very relevant back pain improvements. Obviously, this is shown and proven by the RCT study that we published on this, and this is the basis upon which we're in the market. 
some of your competitors started out in kind of the direct-to-consumer market. Did you even try that at all in the very beginning? Did you just decide and say, hey, let's just jump into Diga because I think the timing was right around the same time. Give us a little bit of your thinking around go-to-market. We did try the different approaches and we found that the direct-to-consumer didn't work at all, not even close. And so the DIGA law came just at the right time because this got us into general reimbursement. And then obviously the doctor is the gatekeeper because it's the doctor who prescribes the DIGA and brings it to the attention of the patient. We did try all of that, but that's many years ago and that didn't work at all back then. People are not willing to pay for their health in Germany. Let's dive into DIGA. I mean, we have had many guests here talking about DIGA and the law itself and all of this. So what was the process like for you guys, you know, especially around sort of evidence generation, going through the whole process, getting initial listing, and let's pause from there. We were one of the very first DIGAs to get listed in 2020. And um, back then, quite frankly, neither the regulator, so the, the supervisory body called Bayfarm in Germany, nor anyone else really knew what they were doing. And I mean this in a positive way. DIGA was, and to a certain extent is until today, a really positive case of agile policymaking, right? It's great. I'm very happy and proud that we were able to do this in Germany of all countries. And so we got in and then we had that one year of temporary listing. They give you a year to hand in your clinical evidence. In our case, that was an RCT study where we went into a a head-to-head comparison with, with physical therapy to show superiority in in pain reduction with physical therapy. That RCT study thankfully went well. So we handed that in and we got our permanent listing at the end of the first year, but not all things went well. Also, we had quite a setback because back then we, we actually still had also the knee and the hip and we didn't get the permanent listing for the knee and the hip, which was obviously a blow to us at the time. Why did that go wrong? And maybe I can also phrase this as a tip or recommendation to other DTX entrepreneurs is we thought we were being extremely innovative with cutting a few corners and and getting the knee and the hip in with less rigorous clinical evidence. And we thought that we'd address the issue with the supervisory body beforehand. We thought we got a green light from them to do it in that way. And then we did it and we didn't get through with it. And the reason was they said, well, there's nothing wrong with the methodology that you used here, but the results are just not strong enough. So at the end of the day, it was like their relative assessment of how good our evidence was that wasn't enough to them. And they caused us a a pretty significant setback. So my big important learning from that was Vivira will not cut corners anymore with regards to clinical evidence. Everything we do from now on is going to be like super solid, middle of the road, gold standard RCT stuff, and not too much room for innovation in clinical evidence space for us. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald who is the Chief Medical Officer and General Manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hey, Philip. Vivira was one of the first companies listed permanently with the DIGA, 
So what was that negotiation like and what did it take to get a permanent listing? Yeah, thanks, Jangana, for that question. For the permanent listing, the most important thing is the quality of your clinical evidence. And to my knowledge, until today, all the DIGA manufacturers and all the DIGAs that have achieved permanent listing have provided RCT studies. Right? It's not required by law, but it does seem to be the method of validation that is accepted by the supervisory authority. And even RCT study needs to be conducted at a very, very high quality level. So we apparently did a sufficiently good job at this at our first pass with the back DIGA. And I can only recommend to other entrepreneurs to really do the highest quality work you possibly can with that RCT study. And as always, I'm jumping in here. So one piece of this is proving the evidence, right? So initial listing, permanent listing, but there's a component of price negotiation as well, right? So I think I've seen some of the companies go in higher, you know, temporarily, the permanent listing, sometimes lower, sometimes higher. I don't have the stats in front of me, but maybe just kind of give us uh, <laughs> that room, the negotiation room, kind of the process around this to get the pricing set in the market. The DIGA manufacturer, if you go in with a temporary listing, is allowed to set the price for the first year on their own within certain boundaries. So there's a framework agreement between the manufacturers and the statutory health insurance that determines the rules for setting that um, self-determined price for the first year. When you go into permanent listing, you as a manufacturer have to negotiate the price with the head association of the statutory health insurances in Germany. And um, they obviously are experts at price negotiation. This is what they do. It's their mandate to make sure that healthcare delivery in Germany is done at prices that Germany can afford. And so this was a big challenge and quite frankly, also a big adventure for us. So we went into months and months of negotiations with the statutory health insurance, eventually agreed to disagree, had to go to a government appointed arbitration board, as many other DIGA manufacturers also did to get the a decision then on the price but that then was not anymore the negotiation between the manufacturer and the health insurances. It was the decision of the arbitration board. You mentioned statutory health insurance negotiation. Now, are you negotiating with individual sick funds? And again, for the listeners here who are not familiar, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, sick funds, uh, which is an unfortunate name, right? Because it implies that dealing only with sick people, which is kind of true, but um, it's the statutory insurance, right? And there's an organization, but there's also, I think at the point where I, when I was living in Germany, there were over a hundred sick funds across Germany. I don't know. There's been a lot of consolidation. So maybe give us literally a couple of sentences on sick funds, but also who are you actually negotiating with and how? Today are just under a hundred statutory health insurances in Germany. And uh, the important thing to remember is that the DIGA is a general reimbursement DTX model in which you do not negotiate with individual health insurances, right? This is one where you apply for a listing with the supervisory authority. And once you're listed by law, any doctor in Germany can prescribe your DIGA and all of the close to 100 statutory health insurances then have to cover the cost. 
So that's why the price is then negotiated with the head association of all statutory health insurances, but there's no actual contract or negotiation with individual health insurances. You know, this brings up an interesting point, and there's been some rumblings. I don't know if it's an elephant in the room per se, but definitely some rumblings around that some of these sick funds, aka insurers, they're either holding back prescriptions, there's some funky stuff going on around it. And, you know, this is all around the incentives because if I'm an operating sick fund, as an example, I may have a solution, whether I developed it from scratch, whether I partnered with somebody already, and then there's a hammer comes down and says, this is the price. And I have to pay the consumers and reimburse. So maybe tell the listeners a little bit what's happening there. And I would love to hear the going forward thinking how this will get hopefully resolved as well. Yes, it has been an exciting year in this respect because we did see that health insurances seem to have been struggling with the process that they need to follow by law, which is the doctor prescribes the DIGA, right? And when that prescription comes into the health insurance, they have to provide the activation code to that DIGA without undue delay. There's no questioning it. It's the doctor and the patient that decide on the therapy, and it's the health insurance that has to pay on the basis of the law. Now, there's been some very, very high-quality investigative journalism going on in Germany, and this has shown that, in fact, the health insurances seem to be taking some time to learn to adhere to this law, some of them, and that they are or have been, in some cases, intervening, going between the patient and the doctor, questioning the therapy decision, holding back the DIGA code, or even in some instances, trying to redirect a policyholders to some of their own digital products, which then, though, in uh, most cases, do not have the clinical evidence, do not have the, the listing with the patient uh, safety and data security that the DIGA does. So that obviously is a big topic, right? Because the whole DIGA model can only work if the process for activating the DIGA upon doctor's prescription works. And so now looking forward, we see that two really important new digital health laws are going to be passed soon in Germany. And the legislator is aware of this issue. And um, we expect that this law will help the health insurances understand their obligation under the law to not intervene with what has been decided between the doctor and the patient. And um, we do expect that these, uh, these processes will be fixed. I loved your comment earlier that kind of agile policymaking, right? And so this sounds like a very quick response from the policymakers into what's happening in the market. So again, you said it, not me, that the fact that a lot of this is happening in Germany and that uh, you're proud of the country pushing this and responding to the consumers and citizens. We've talked quite a bit about your experience, for lack of a better term, somewhat bootstrapping with some angel support through this process. As a serial entrepreneur yourself, would love to hear what advice you would give to some of the DTX startups that are just getting started or maybe earlier on in their journey. Great question. And I've gotten to know many DTX entrepreneurs and I'm good friends with many of them in Germany and other parts of the world. It really is a small community once you get to know folks. And I think the most important learning that I would like to share with, with other DTX entrepreneurs in this space is think carefully about who to raise funds from, think carefully about 
what you're pitching to these funds and the valuations that you seek in, in your funding rounds, right? Because at the end of the day, what good is a bunch of money to you if it's raised on a valuation? Will it take you a long time to grow into that valuation? You don't know exactly how and when it's going to happen. And that can really, in the end, cause big problems to you as the entrepreneur. The way that we've done it, potentially slightly more conservative way, is to try and raise only as much as we really needed at a given point of time from investors who are able to support the company for as long as it takes. Because quite honestly, we just didn't know how long it would take. And we still don't really, in many instances, know how long certain milestones will take so that I as the entrepreneur or you as the entrepreneur do not find yourself with the back against the wall for something that is not your fault. It was simply just, you know, raising from a fund that can't afford to stick around for longer or has to get a certain return on its investment based on a valuation that maybe was a little bit too high at the time when you did the fundraise. Or a lot too high in many cases, unfortunately, right? Right. But I mean, everyone with an eye on the market knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? And it doesn't matter whether it's larger cases that have gone wrong on both sides of the Atlantic in the last one to two years. Everyone, I think, knows who I'm talking about, or even Diga players in Germany who have run into existential problems because this just didn't fit together, right? And what's the interest of the entrepreneur? I'm not in this business to make a quick buck. It's the wrong industry to be in if you want to get rich fast, believe me, right? So if I don't want to sell the company, I am perfectly fine with a slightly reduced valuation now if I can get the right investor with the right funding to do a good job and build a high value company. The most important thing is that we understand how this industry works and how we create value, how we scale. And uh, I can tell you that uh, the companies that are focused on this maybe focus a little bit less on telling, you know, the big visionary story of all the crazy, wonderful things that will one day be. Those are the companies now that are experiencing very solid growth in the German market. So these DGA players are solidly growing in Germany and they understand the causality between, you know, what's the A that leads to the B that we need to scale the company and we're able to prove it with data now. So this is good. Fantastic. You know, I think we all would love that amazing Nirvana state of all the pieces lined up, right? So I think in your summary, though, I, I'm going to paraphrase it is just focus long term, right? That's the, the piece. What are you really trying to achieve? Well, Philip, we'll start it with you. As always in this podcast, we want to end with you. What makes you get up every morning? Philosophical question now after listening to jazz, right? This morning. I do that almost every morning. And um, what makes me get up in the morning with regards to going to work is I really love the DTX struggle. It's great, right? So understanding how to dance with the system, right? And, and, and how, to, how to deal with, with all of those incentives of all those stakeholder groups that we need to deal with is a fascinating challenge. And seeing the progress over the last three years for us as a company the slow but steady professionalization, um, increasing competence in the teams of how this huge but difficult market actually works and how to understand it, how to measure it, how to optimize because we can measure and how to then scale because 
well, we know what we're doing. And this has been a very, very gratifying process until now. And, and the next few years are just going to be extremely exciting. So that is a good reason to get up in the morning. So it sounds like you enjoy jazz music and also, you know, there's a saying that takes two to tango, but, you know, in the DTX market, I think it takes like 37 stakeholders to tango. So that's another challenge. So it sounds like you like jazz and dancing. Fascinating. Thank you for your time and uh, thank you for making the time. Thank you, Eugene. It's a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.